Good evening, and welcome to the Sleep with Josh podcast. It's the podcast where you sleep with Josh. I am comedian Josh Yang, and every episode I read various pieces of literature in my trademark monotone voice to help you drift off to sleep. Literature like the dictionary, laws, various manuals, the different terms of services that everyone agrees to but never really reads, and other random boring ideas. Tonight, I'm very excited about starting a new category for the Sleep with Josh podcast in the field of medicine, where I will read medical textbooks and procedures for your sleeping pleasure. There's no better way to start than to read from a staple piece of medical literature on the human biology, Gray's Anatomy, the name of which has been popularly associated with the long-running ABC medical drama Gray's Anatomy, spelt with an E instead of an A. The original Gray's Anatomy was written by a British anatomist and surgeon, Henry Gray, and published in 1858. Since then, it has been revised and updated with 41 editions, the most recent in 2015. Tonight, however, I will be reading from the 20th edition of the book, published in 1918, with the title at the time, Anatomy of the Human Body. Of course, if you find yourself enjoying this experience, please follow this podcast on your podcast player of choice and tell everyone you know that you sleep with Josh. Because at the end of the day, the more people that sleep with Josh, the better. Feel free to also follow me on social media at Josh Yang Comedy. Now sit back, relax, and close your eyes. Because you'll get tired of this podcast. Guaranteed. Anatomy of the Human Body by Henry Gray, Fellow 
of the Royal College of Surgeons, lecturer on anatomy at St. George's Hospital Medical School, London. 20th edition. Thoroughly revised and re-edited by Warren H. Lewis, Bachelor of Science, Medical Doctorate. Professor of Physiological Anatomy, John Hopkins University, Baltimore, Maryland. Published in 1918. Preface to the 20th edition. Since the publication of the first English edition of this work in 1858, and the first American edition in 1859, great advances in the subject of anatomy have been made, especially in microscopic anatomy and the anatomy of the embryo. This knowledge was embodied from time to time in the successive editions until finally considerable portions of the text, sometimes sections, were devoted to these subjects. However, the main text has always remained primarily a descriptive anatomy of the human body. In the present edition, the special sections on embryology and histology have been distributed among the subjects under which they naturally belong. New matter on physiological anatomy, laws of bone architecture, the mechanics and variations of muscles have been added, occupying much of the space formerly devoted to the sections on applied anatomy. The sections on the ductless glands and the nervous system have been largely rewritten. In the latter, a more rational presentation of the sympathetic nervous system has been achieved through the use of diagrams and descriptions based on physiological and pharmacological work. The central connections of the spinal and cranial nerves are also emphasized. Illustrations have been added wherever important points could be made more clear. And throughout the work, colored pictures have been even more extensively used than heretofore. In this respect, special mention might be made of the central nervous system and the section on the muscles. In the section on syndesmology, six illustrations are used from Quain's Anatomy through the courtesy of the publishers Messrs. Longmans Green and Company of London. The use of the BNA nomenclature in English has been retained practically unchanged in this edition and important references to the literature have been added at the end of each section. As a practical work on the subject for the student, Gray's Anatomy has always been recognized and appreciated. The plan originally formulated, which has proved so successful, 
has been adhered to as much as possible. It is interesting to note that although Henry Gray saw only the first edition, much of the original text persists, and many of his illustrations are still in use. Bearing this in mind, it has been the endeavor of the editor to supply only such changes as advances in the science made necessary in order that this work may reflect the latest accessions to anatomical knowledge. William H. Lewis, Baltimore, 1918 Introduction The term human anatomy comprises a consideration of the various structures which make up the human organism. In a restricted sense, it deals merely with the parts which form the fully developed individual and which can be rendered evident to the naked eye by various methods of dissection. Regarded from such a standpoint, it may be studied by two methods. One, the various structures may be separately considered systemic anatomy, or two, the organs and tissues may be studied in relation to one another, topographical or regional anatomy. It is, however, of much advantage to add to the facts ascertained by naked eye dissection those obtained by the use of the microscope. This introduces two fields of investigation. The study of the minute structure of the various component parts of the body, or histology, and the study of the human organism in its immature condition, i.e. the various stages of its intrauterine development from the fertilized ovum up to the period when it assumes an independent existence. Embryology Owing to the difficulty of obtaining material illustrating all the stages of this early development, gaps must be filled up by observations on the development of lower forms, comparative embryology, or by a consideration of adult forms of the line of human ancestry, or comparative anatomy. The direct application of the facts of human anatomy to the various pathological conditions which may occur constitutes the subject of applied anatomy. Finally, the appreciation of structures on or immediately underlying the surface of the body is frequently made the subject of special study, surface anatomy. Systemic anatomy 
the various systems of which the human body is composed are grouped under the following headings. 1. Osteology, the bony system or skeleton. 2. Syndesmology, the articulations or joints. 3. Myology, the muscles. With the description of the muscles, it is convenient to include that of the fascia, which are so intimately connected with them. 4. Angiology, the vascular system, comprising the heart, blood vessels, lymphatic vessels, and lymph glands. Number 5. Neurology, the nervous system, the organs of sense, may be included in this system. Number six, splanchnology, splanchnology, okay, the visceral system, topographically the viscera form two groups, the thoracic viscera and the abdominopelvic viscera, the heart, a thoracic viscous, is best considered with the vascular system. The rest of the viscera may be grouped according to their functions. A. The respiratory apparatus. B the digestive apparatus, and C, the urogenital apparatus. Strictly speaking, the third subgroup should include only such components of the urogenital apparatus as are included within the abdominopelvic cavity. But it is convenient to study under this heading certain parts which lie in relation to the surface of the body. For example, the testes and the external organs of generation. For descriptive purposes, the body is supposed to be in the erect posture, with the arms hanging by the sides and the palms of the hands directed forward. The median plane is a vertical antero-posterior plane passing through the center of the trunk. This plane will pass approximately through the sagittal suture of the skull, and hence any plane parallel to it is termed a sagittal plane. A vertical plane at right angles to the median plane passes, roughly speaking, through the central part of the coronal suture or through a line parallel to it. Such a plane is known as a frontal plane or sometimes as a coronal plane. A plane at right angles to both the median and frontal planes is termed 
a transverse plane. The terms anterior or central and posterior or dorsal are employed to indicate the relation of parts to the front or back of the body or limbs, and the terms superior or cephalic and inferior or caudal to indicate the relative levels of different structures. Structures nearer to or farther from the median plane are referred to as medial or lateral, respectively. The terms superficial and deep are strictly confined to descriptions of the relative depth from the surface of the various structures, external and internal, are reserved almost entirely for describing the walls of cavities or of hollow viscera. In the case of the limbs, the words proximal and distal refer to relative distance from the attached end of the limb. Embryology The term embryology in its widest sense is applied to the various changes which take place during the growth of an animal from the egg to the adult condition. It is, however, usually restricted to the phenomena which occur before birth. Embryology may be studied from two aspects. One, that of ontogeny, which deals only with the development of the individual, and two, that of phylogeny, which concerns itself with the evolutionary history of the animal kingdom. Invertebrate Invertebrate animals, the development of a new being can only take place when a female germ cell or ovum has been fertilized by a male germ cell or spermatozoon, 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 what? <laughs> okay, it's spermatozoan. Wow, you learned something. The ovum is a nucleated cell, and all the complicated changes by which the various tissues and organs of the body are formed from it after it has been fertilized are the result of two general processes, segmentation and differentiation of cells. Thus, the fertilized ovum undergoes repeated segmentation into a number of cells which, at first, closely resemble one another, but are sooner or later differentiated into two groups. 1. Somatic cells, 
the function of which is to build up the various tissues of the body into germinal cells, which become embedded in the sexual glands, the ovaries in the female, and the testes in the male, and are destined for the perpetuation of the species. Having regard to the main purpose of this work, it is impossible in the space available in this section to describe fully or illustrate adequately all the phenomena which occur in the different stages of the development of the human body. Only the principal facts are given, and the student is referred for further details to one or other of the textbooks on human embryology. Next section. The animal cell. All the tissues and organs of the body originate from a microscopic structure in brackets, the fertilized ovum, in brackets, which consists of a soft jelly-like material enclosed in a membrane and containing a vesicle or small spherical body inside which are one or more denser spots. This may be regarded as a complete cell. All the solid tissues consist largely of cells essentially similar to it in nature but differing in external form. In the higher organisms, a cell may be defined as, in quotes, a nucleated mass of protoplasm of microscopic size, end quotes. Its two essentials, therefore, are a soft jelly-like material similar to that found in the ovum and usually styled cytoplasm and a small spherical body embedded in it and termed a nucleus. Some of the unicellular protozoa contain no nuclei, but granular particles which, like true nuclei, stain with basic dyes. The other constituents of the ovum, its limiting membrane and the denser spot contained in the nucleus, called the nucleolus, are not essential to the type cell, and in fact, many cells exist without them. Cytoplasm, in brackets, protoplasm, is a material probably of variable constitution during life, but yielding on its disintegration bodies, chiefly of proteid nature. Lecithin and cholesterol are constantly found in it, as well as inorganic salts, chief among which are the phosphates and chlorides of potassium, sodium, and calcium. It is of a semi-fluid, viscid consistence, and probably colloidal in nature. 
The living cytoplasm appears to consist of a homogeneous and structureless ground substance in which are embedded granules of various types. The mitochondria are the most consistent type of granule and vary in form from granules to rods and threads. Their function is unknown. Some of the granules are proteid in nature and probably essential constituents. Others are fat, glycogen, or pigment granules and are regarded as adventitious material taken in from without and hence are styled cell inclusions or paraplasm. When, however, cells have been, in quotes, fixed by reagents, a fibrillar or granular appearance can often be made out under a high power of the microscope. The fibrils are usually arranged in a network or reticulum, to which the term spongioplasm is applied. The clear substance in the meshes being termed hyaloplasm. The size and shape of the meshes of the spongioplasm vary in different cells and in different parts of the same cell. The relative amounts of spongioplasm and hyaloplasm also vary in different cells the latter preponderating in the young cell and the former increasing at the expense of the hyaloplasm as the cell grows. Such appearances in fixed cells are no indication whatsoever of the existence of similar structures in the living although there must have been something in the living cell to give rise to the fixed structures. The peripheral layer of a cell is in all cases modified, either by the formation of a definite cell membrane, as in the ovum, or more frequently in the case of animal cells, by a transformation, probably chemical in nature, which is only recognizable by the fact that the surface of the cell behaves as a semi-permeable membrane. Nucleus. The nucleus is a minute body embedded in the protoplasm and usually of a spherical or oval form. Its size having little relation to that of the cell. It is surrounded by a well-defined wall, the nuclear membrane. This encloses the nuclear substance, or nuclear matrix, which is composed of a homogeneous material in which is usually embedded one or two nucleoli. In fixed cells, the nucleus seems to consist of a clear substance, or karyoplasm, and a network, or 
karyomitomy. Karyomitomy. Either or. The former is probably of the same nature as the hyaloplasm of the cell, but the latter, which forms also the wall of the nucleus, differs from the spongioplasm of the cell substance. It consists of fibers or filaments arranged in a reticular manner. These filaments are composed of a homogeneous material known as linen, which stains with acid dyes and contains embedded in its substance particles, which have a strong affinity for basic dyes. These basophil granules have been named chromatin or basochromatin and owe their staining properties to the presence of nucleic, nucleic acid. Within the nuclear matrix are one or more highly refracting bodies, termed nucleoli, connected with the nuclear membrane by the nuclear filaments. They are regarded as being of two kinds. Some are mere local condensations, in quotes, net knots of the chromatin. These are irregular in shape and are termed pseudonucleoli. Others are distinct bodies differing from the pseudonucleoli both in nature and chemical composition. They may be termed true nucleoli and are usually found in resting cells the true nucleoli are oxyphil. For example, they stain with acid dyes. Most living cells contain, in addition to their protoplasm and nucleus, a small particle which usually lies near the nucleus and is termed the centrosome. In the middle of the centrosome is a minute body called the centriole, and surrounding this is a clear spherical mass known as the centrosphere. The protoplasm surrounding the centrosphere is frequently arranged in radiating fibrillar rows of granules, forming what is termed the attraction sphere. And this is where we're going to stop the first part of reading Gray's Anatomy. Now that we've read a little bit into embryology, next section titled Reproduction of Cells. In the meantime though, thank you for listening to the Sleep with Josh podcast. Congratulations, you've just slept with Josh. Of course, if you're still awake, Please remember to follow and give us a review on the podcast platform you are listening with. And follow me on social media at Josh Yang Comedy. Thank you and good night.